Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Duff Goldman. Duff is a renowned chef and the star of many of the Food Network's most popular shows, including Ace of Cakes, Ace of Taste, and Duff Takes the Cake. He's also the owner of the famous Baltimore-based bakery, Charm City Cakes, the founder of Duff's Cake Mix, and a New York Times bestselling author of several cookbooks, including his latest, Super Good Cookies for Kids. Despite being about as successful as you could possibly be as a chef, Duff is well aware of his own areas of weakness. In this Mental Health Toolkit episode, Duff describes how he built his brand in the food world and what he does to keep his mental health in check when insecurities or even imposter syndrome start to take hold. My full conversation with Duff Goldman right after this quick break. Duff Goldman, welcome to Imposters. You're a baker who has found incredible success across many mediums. You have your show, Ace of Cakes, which ran for five years on Food Network, and it's one of the most highly viewed and rated food programs of all time. You're a New York Times bestselling author and the owner of Charm City Cakes, which is the bake shop featured on Ace of Cakes. But before we talk about all of your success, um, I want to know how you got there. How did you find your way into baking. Uh, how, how much time you got? So I was, um, <laughs> when I was 14, I was a graffiti artist and I needed money uh, to buy spray paint. Couldn't ask my mom for money for spray paint for painting on trains and stuff. So I got a job at McDonald's and uh, that was how I made enough money to pay for paint. And then eventually I went to University of Maryland, Baltimore, and I started working at a restaurant, a fine dining restaurant there. And that's when I kind of realized this whole world of amazing food out there that I just wasn't aware of. And so after undergrad, I went to pastry school because when I was working at that restaurant, I wasn't cooking. I was actually the baker. I would bake, uh, I baked cornbread and biscuits for two years every day, right? Nonstop. It was amazing. Uh, but I fell in love with it. I fell in love with baking. It's just, um, you know, it's very cerebral. You know, I have a degree in philosophy. So I, you know, I think a lot. <laughs> and like, you know, baking is a, you know, is a very, contemplative craft. Well, you ended up obviously finding a ton of success in your craft, but there's kind of this transition that every successful creative or artist has to make, which is the transition from creating art to being an owner, a person who's an entrepreneur, someone who has to run the operations of their business. How did you make that transition? Um, You know, it's fun. I'm still making it. Honestly, and I, I think that like one of the biggest things that I realized was that I'm a I'm a you know I'm a creative person. My great grandmother was a weaver and a baker and a milliner. She made ladies' hats. My grandmother was a photographer and a silversmith. And my mom uh, is a stained glass artist and uh, she also does mosaics. Uh, she did ceramics for a long time. And I'm a terrible businessman. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> right? It's just not my, It's I'm, I'm not good at it. I've almost, At least you know yourself. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I seriously, like I've almost bankrupted the whole company, like at least twice. And uh, <laughs> finally, what I have done is I've hired a bunch of people that are really good at business, and all they like, you know, we have a great uh, sort of collaboration where they're really good at like, you know talking to adults <laughs> and I'm really good at coming up with cool ideas <laughs> and, you know, like not just coming up, but like, you know, how to execute and, you know, there, there's a where and a why and there's a, you know, there's definitely a method to the madness, but we have a really good system now where you have, you know, people that really understand me and help me to uh, do the things that I'm good at. And they then do the things that I'm not, which is, you know, running a business, uh, running a profitable business anyways. <laughs> well, you know, one 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 thing I would say is you may not give yourself a lot of credit for, you know, business acumen or entrepreneurship, but I would say one of the most important traits of successful entrepreneurs is self-awareness, is just knowing the shit that you're very good at and knowing the stuff that you're not so then you can delegate kind of around your blind spots in a way that it doesn't burn you and it seems like you've done that effectively. Yeah, yeah, and I think the, like I, I definitely like give myself credit for the fact that I was able to release the ego, right, and not be like, no, I am a businessman, and I am, and I like you know I have some good ideas, and you know I'm not I'm not useless, right, but like just the, the day to day of like running a business, I'm just not good at it. I sometimes when it comes to that kind of stuff, like I'm like a gnat. I'm just like, what else is happening? Like, I mean, but it's also it's yeah, I mean, it's also. It's funny you, you say that and it makes me think about areas of business that honestly, like I feel like I have the attention span of a net or I tend to procrastinate more. And I think actually part of the answer lies that I probably don't have a short attention span. It's just when you spend time on things that don't give you a ton of energy, it's hard to fake it and it's hard to fake having attention around it. So I think that makes total sense. I want to talk about some of the early days of the business where you first cooked out of your apartment, then you cooked in uh, a disgusting kitchen before buying an actual church just to use their kitchen. Take me through the mindset that you had in those stages of business. So I was living in Baltimore and I decided that I was going to be a, a, a rock star. I'm a musician. All my buddies are musicians. So I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a big record deal be a famous rock star. So uh, I started making cakes out of my apartment as a way to pay the rent. And, you know, that way I could make my own schedule. So like when I had to go on tour, or, you know, make a record or you know, play shows or do whatever, I could do that. I had the time. And, you know, if like if I knew I was going to be on tour for two weeks in the summer, I just wouldn't schedule any cakes for that time. And so, you know, and that was cool. Like that was that was kind of, you know, what I was doing. And then um, one of my buddies, Jeff, uh, was working as a, a architectural model builder. And uh, he's also a musician, wanted to, you know, pursue it full time. So uh, he was like, hey, I'm going to quit from the architect firm and I'm going to learn how to make cakes with you. And so he so he sort of became my partner. And then I hired a bunch of other my buddies and bands. And so pretty soon it was like, you know, it was like four or five like dudes in rock bands making you know, the best wedding cakes in Baltimore. It was strange. It was a strange thing. And then uh, eventually we moved. So I moved from my apartment. I got a, like a row house, like, a you know, a little brownstone. And we were working out of there. And then the uh, one day the health department showed up and they were like, hey, we got a complaint that you're making wedding cakes in here. And um, <laughs> this is a true story. The guy's at the door. He's got a badge and everything. And I'm like dressed, you know, like me. I'm just like camo shorts and like a T-shirt and everything. And I'm like looking at the guy and I was like, 
do I look like a cake decorator to you? And he was like, good point. And he went away. Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. And so, uh, but I was like, yo, you guys, like, we got it. We got a bolt. When it first started, it was funny. Like, so when I was in my apartment, it was just me. And I was like, I built the website. I baked everything. I did all the decorating. I did all the deliveries. I met all the customers. Like, it was, I was a one-man show. And so what I did was I went to Kinko's and I made business cards on, like, sheets of cardboard. I cut them out with a little chopper. And I, I got a chef coat, I put them in my pocket. And then I decorated a, a fake wedding cake with styrofoam inside. And there was right next, on the block next to me, next to my apartment, was a really nice wedding venue. And I noticed that every Saturday and Sunday, all these brides were, were coming there because they go to see the wedding venue when it's all gussied up for a wedding so they can see what it looks like. So what I did was I put on my chef coat, I put my business cards in my pocket, and so all afternoon, Saturdays and Sundays, I would just walk around. There was a little park in front of it. And I would just walk from one end of the park to the other. And people would, the brides would be coming in and be like, oh, my God, look at that cake. And I'm like, oh, yeah, take a card. And like within like four months, I was making all of their cakes. <laughs> it was great. It's wild. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny. You, uh, you're a little bit like self-deprecating about your business savvy earlier, but I don't think you give yourself enough credit. Maybe it's like the type of thing where you're not the person who's necessarily running the financials of your business on a quarterly basis. But it seems like you had the intuition to just like figure shit out because you had no other option. Yeah. I mean, listen, there, you know, there's uh, Genghis Khan was like he was a really good conqueror. Right. But he wasn't a good governor. <laughs> you know, like like I could start a business. Right. You, like, yeah. You, give me give me something like you want to you want a, a taco truck that serves mac and cheese <laughs> done. Like, I'll do it. I'll get it started for you. But once it's like off the ground and running like here, you got to take it now. Like, I can't you can't you can't let me have it because it's there's an arc there. <laughs> Even though Duff doesn't give himself a lot of credit for the day to day management of his own business, you have to admire the ingenuity and scrappiness he used to get his business off the ground. Duff also used that innate creativity to bring his own TV shows to life, including Ace of Cakes, which ran for 10 seasons on the Food Network, the children's show Duff's Happy Fun Bake Time, which he launched last year, and his most recent Food Network show, Duff, Ace of Taste. We're gonna take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll get into how Duff keeps his head above water in the demanding environment of the food industry, his mental health toolkit, as well as how he deals with his own insecurities despite his level of success. Stay with us. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And we're back. Before the break, Duff described the creative avenues he found to grow his business. But knowing how challenging the food industry can be, I was curious to hear Duff's take on exactly why working in food can be so intense and how he navigates this kind of demanding work environment. Something that I'm particularly interested in because I've always been 
you know, fascinated not just by food, but also just the industry and the business behind food, you know, the restaurant industry, the dessert industry. And, you know, there's been so much that's said at least through media about the restaurant industry having workplace abuse or substance abuse. What is your overall take of this and your experience with kind of the environment that exists in the kitchen and in the industry? Mm, It's a good question. Um, you see stuff, you know what I mean? Like I've seen a lot, there's just, you see a lot of drugs, you see a lot of Coke, see a lot of alcoholism, you know, you just, you just see the, the, the thing about cooking is it as a job, it's difficult to stay healthy physically and mentally and emotionally, you know, it's just, it's a demanding job. It's creative and it takes a lot of soul. It takes a lot of heart. It takes a, a, you know, you got to give it everything you got to be good at it. And it's also physically demanding. And the difficult thing about cooking is just the the sort of the way that food works. uh, you, You don't get a lot of time off. You don't get a lot of downtime. You don't get a lot of time to, you know, recuperate. You know, it's not like the corporate world, like like restaurants operate at very, very, very small margins. So you, you can't have this whole stable of, you know, lots and lots of cooks working at your restaurant. You can't afford them, you know, the, your, your food's going to get too expensive and then no one's going to come there because they're not going to pay $35 for a hamburger, which is kind of what the restaurant industry is going through right now. There's a lot of people that are like, you know, you got to pay people more, you know, which is good. Uh, but at the same time, it's like you got to have like a reasonable expectation. You know, like restaurants yeah. are what they are. So it's tough, right? You see a lot of people neglect the uh, themselves. You know, they neglect that, the, you know, taking care of themselves, going to the gym, eating healthy. Like, man, when you're working in a kitchen, right, you know, like you're just you're just constantly you're putting stuff in your body. When I was in college, I was a I was an athlete. I played hockey. I played lacrosse. I was a big, strong dude. I became a chef and like immediately, like I probably gained like 50 pounds. I mean, it was just, it was fast, you know, it was fast. So, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of self-neglect. And then there's also just the realities of like, it's a very stressful job, right? It's a, a high demanding job that you need to be able to operate under pressure, which, uh, you know, I hate sounding like this, but like, you're, you're finding a lot more younger people now aren't operating well under pressure. Yeah. And uh, it's like, you know, when you're cooking, it's like, yo, I need you to cook that steak. I need to do it now. Uh, you know, I'm going to stick your head in the blender. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, you just, you just say stuff like, hey, come on, let's go, let's go. And like, can't do that anymore. And it's like, abuse is bad. A hundred percent of the time, abuse is bad. But like, camaraderie is good. And, you know, being in the trenches is good. So, you know, it's tough. You know, I think it's tough that people have to kind of watch it because, you know, like you, you can you can ruin your career by saying the yeah. wrong thing. And that, you know, that's uh, that's just a tough tightrope to walk, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, for you specifically, as you talk about um, and you alluded to it with uh, early in your career, but as you think about kind of the the physical challenges and the mental challenges that can be presented by just the the reality of the industry how has that been for you have you experienced challenges on the physical or mental side and how do you try to keep that in check today yeah i mean it's just the just the general fatigue that you know people get from standing for 13 hours you know it's hard 
Sorry, you're tired. At the end of the day, you're exhausted. And like, you have to just physically be able to do the work, you know? So, you know, there's that, but it's also good for you, right? It's good. You got to push yourself. You know, you got, it's good to push yourself to the point where you're like, I literally can't move. I can't do anything. Like, it's it's nice to find that point. You can't, you can't exist like that for a long time, but it's definitely totally. important to, uh, to, to push yourself hard and see what you're capable of. That's how you get better. What are the few things that you do for yourself to get into the right place mentally or physically? So you just think about the demands of the job, the stress of the job. When you have downtime, what are you doing for yourself just to center yourself and just like keep life kind of light? For me personally, like one of one of the things that like I need to do constantly is lift, right? I love to lift, you know, and like I do a lot of different things, but you know, I a treadmill, I run, you know, I'm, I'm constantly doing things, but like, I love to lift heavy things. I'm built like Barney Rubble, right? I'm just a, a little, like, I'm a little gnome, you know, but I'm strong. And so, you know, I think like that, that kind of thing is, you know, putting on music and lifting is great. Um, also just music in general, uh, I find uh, really helps, you know, you put on some music and you just find something you like, put on some James Brown or Fela Coutier, just something with a good beat that, you know, you can really just kind of, you know, glide into. But honestly, like the biggest thing I find is just um, being aware, being present. I travel a lot, you know, constantly on planes and airports and doing a thing. And I, there's this thing that I do before I go to the airport. I do this in lots of different places in my life where before I go to the airport, I adopt a sense of like gratitude and like oneness for all the people that I'm around. When you go to the airport, and everybody's just in a rush, and there's stress, and then done, and there's crowds, and every, the airports are just pits of despair and awfulness. <laughs> when you go into an airport and you are exuding a positive mental attitude, and when you really, when you really get there, and you really are able to kind of harness that. And you you put that energy out there. I know I sound like some weird hippie, but like, man, it is it like you can see it. You see it affect everybody. When you get up to the, you know, the the person behind the counter that's gonna take your luggage and check you in. And you're just like, you know, hey, how's it going, man? This is crazy today. Look at all these people. This is wild. You know, <laughs> like just you know, like making small talk and like, you know, just whatever. You just see people just lighten up and they're just like, oh man, like, thank you for seeing that I am a human being also. and We're all here. I want you to get where you're going. You want to get where you're going. Let's do this. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's great. And like, you find it really helps. And, and that works in every situation. I mean, not to say, again, I don't know how you operate in the kitchen and maybe you're a little bit more intense than how you describe in the airport. But to me, that exercise has to be such a good muscle builder for what you end up doing when you're working in the kitchen. And it's funny, you talk about enjoying lifting heavy weights in so many ways when you do this practice in the airport or in other places of practicing gratitude, oneness, appreciation for the people around you. I mean, first of all, not only is there just like osmosis where other people start acting that way also because they see you do it, but you're building up this muscle for yourself where like the gratitude that you're expressing in an airport, all of a sudden it starts showing up in other places in life, even when you're not intentionally practicing it. A hundred percent. I heard a quote one time that uh, it was like something about how like, you know, every every person you meet, everybody out there 
is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Yep. And when you really take that to heart, really kind of understand what that's saying, all of a sudden, like your your patience for people just is boundless. I think the other thing too is that it helped me realize like I'm not special, right? Everybody thinks they're special. Everybody's got an Instagram account, so everybody's a you know, the reality star of their own TV show. And everybody thinks they're special. And I'm not saying this like crotchety old man style. I'm saying this like when you realize that like your insecurities, your anxieties, your fears, all of the things that make you do all the dumb things you do, everybody has them. You're not special. You're not you're not the only anxious person. You know, like when I, well, I, you know, like when I do public speaking, I'm about to go on stage. I say the most horrible things to myself. You're not funny. You're not smart. You have no idea what you're talking about. You are a complete fraud. You're going to walk out on that stage. Nobody's going to laugh and nobody cares what you're going to say. I say that to myself every single time I'm about to walk out on stage. It's, it's, I say the, like the most horrible things. And then like, then I laugh at myself and I'm like, oh my God, Duff, you're an idiot. Just go out there and do it. Uh, and, and so, and then you go out and do it. You realize you're fine. But the thing is, is that we all say those things. Yep. Everybody does. Uh, Serena Williams probably does. She's like one of the most amazing people that's ever lived. Right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like George Lucas probably says those things. Some people say horrible things to themselves. We all do it, which is how we're wired. Anxiety kept us from getting killed by saber tooth tigers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, like we, we like there's a reason so why true. we're wired to be like fearful. You know? <laughs> we got totally. you know, that's, I think that, you know, the next part of human evolution is, you know, being able to sort of really consciously rise above some of those survival mechanisms that were great when we were living in caves. Not so much now we have a di- we, we are, we're operating in a different ecosystem. Well, I think this is like such a good place to, um, to close the conversation because I, you've said two things that complement each other so well. The first is for listeners who look at you as kind of this celebrity chef, someone who's become, you know, the top 0.1% in their industry as successful as one could be in the restaurant and especially pastry and dessert industry. I think what you've made very clear is, is it does not matter how much you excel in your given endeavors, you still have self-defeating, self-doubting thoughts all of the time. And, you know, everyone listening just doesn't know about them because they're worrying about their own fears and their own thoughts and their own anxieties. So hopefully it brings some, some calm to people to realize that they're not the only one dealing with these things. But to the other point, I think the more that we can have some compassion for ourselves and love ourselves for the things we're good at and build that muscle up, the, the better off we'll be. You know, and it's honestly like to, just to build on what you said, we all do. We all have those anxieties. We all have those fears. I think the thing that people need to do is just take a step back and be like, hey, you're anxious. It's okay. It's fine. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be scared. You know, it's okay. I'm scared all the time. I, I freak out about stuff. I'm Jewish. I'm neurotic. I constantly <laughs> overthink everything, but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I love it. Well, uh, Duff Goldman, full-time chef, part-time musician, and part-time philosopher, thank you for joining Imposters. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This is really fun. I admire Duff's ability to balance his creative brilliance, professional success, 
and competitive nature with a healthy dose of humility. Here is someone who has launched multiple successful shows on the largest TV food network, has published New York Times bestselling cookbooks, and has baked cakes for events as prestigious as Barack Obama's inauguration. And despite all of these achievements, he can still experience insecurity, whether it's with public speaking or managing his very own business. To me, it serves as yet another powerful reminder that imposter syndrome doesn't have to be something that hinders us. I think if we look at Duff Goldman as an example, imposter syndrome can be seen as a signal that we are doing something right. Now, imposters listeners, we need your help. We would love to hear from you on how the conversations on imposters have impacted your life. How does this show help you in your career or your personal life? Are there any particular guests or episodes that have stood out to you? And tell me the stuff that you haven't liked where you want the show to get better. Our goal is simple. We want to make this as valuable as humanly possible and make the show worthy of your time. So shoot me an email at alex at morningbrew.com and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our senior producer is Vishnu Vallabhaneni and Makila Heck is our producer. Brian Henry is our executive producer and A.B. Silver is our booking producer. Our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Greg Jacobs is our video producer and Sarah Singer is our VP of Multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. <laughs>